Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Good morning, and thank you for giving me this wonderful opportunity to be here to worship with you through song, through prayer, through giving, and now through the Word of God. I have a question for you this morning. Who are you? Who are you? You ever ask yourself that question before? Who am I? Who am I? Sounds simple, right? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Our first instinct would probably, in asking that question, would be, well, to say my name. So, Phil, or Diane, or Garth. And then maybe we'd say our occupation. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a part-time frozen yogurt chef at the Devonshire Mall. Um, or in my spare time, I'm a you know professional bobsledder, too. You know, typical answers. So... Maybe who you are consists of the things that you like to do or the things that you're good at. Maybe you're good at sports or maybe you like reading or playing the piano or fixing cars. That's just who you are. You're the guy or gal that fixes cars. Do you see a common theme surrounding all these answers? There's probably a few, but the main theme is that in all these things, All these things are subject to change. Jobs change, hobbies change, interests change, changes. And we can even legally change our name to whatever we want nowadays. And amidst all the change, one thing remains the same. And that's God. God doesn't change and neither does his word. And in God's word, we can know who we are in Christ. So it might not be as simple as initially anticipated. It's actually simpler. Because with Christ, Christians have an unchanging identity that God has promised us. And for those who know him and have experienced his grace. Today we're going to learn the difference between our identity in Christ, and our identity apart from Christ. Please turn with me to Paul's letter to the Romans as we discover who we really are in Christ. We'll be starting in chapter 8, and because I love this passage of Scripture so much, I was planning on on reading a whole ton of it, but I think I'm just going to Make, make a good decision and start at verse 12 instead. So it start in, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit testifies himself with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Wow, what a jam-packed text. And now I'm only going to really focus on those last three verses, 15 to 17. But here's what we see. Paul is writing to his fellow believers, Gentiles in Rome, explaining to them the knowledge and understanding through the Holy Spirit of new life found in Jesus. And Paul is actually living proof of this transformative power of the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the differentiator. He's our helper as we walk in faith with Christ. And he is the one who is with us, prompting us, protecting us from the life that is apart from Christ. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Let us never forget that. Uh, To direct us, to lead us into righteousness and away from a life enslaved to sin. Paul mentions two ways in this passage. A way that leads to life in Christ and a way that leads to death apart from Christ. The way that leads to death or a life according to the sinful nature Paul calls that the life of a slave. And on the other hand, we have the way that leads to life, which is a life led by the Spirit of God, which Paul describes as the life of a son. And if you're in a place today where you're unsure where you're at in relationship to God, I want to share this with you and don't miss this that the power to change your life comes from knowing you're a son. And when you understand who you are as a child of God, as a son of God, there is power in that. And the way you relate to God and live for him will change dramatically. The first difference between a slave and a son is that a slave obeys out of fear, but a son obeys obeys out of love. We see this in verse 15 in our text. It says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And I'm going to stop right there. Oh, and, and, and in other translations, it might even say adoption. And to better understand this, we need to know, well, what is a slave? A slave is a person who is the legal property of another and is forced to obey that master. Or in, or in some biblical language, it would say someone that is still in bondage to their sin or still living in the fear of the law of the Old Testament. So that's a slave. And what is a son? To be a son, well, you need a parent. And that parent is God. But because you're adopted and by faith in Christ you are given a spirit of sonship, you're also chosen by God. You are loved by God. And unlike a slave, there is freedom in that truth that comes from knowing you're a son. In the context of, of Roman adoption, we see that you know, an adopted son was 
deliberately chosen by his father. And F.F. Bruce, commentator, explains that the son would not actually be inferior to the status of an actual, you know, naturally born child of that father. But interestingly enough, the adopted son might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. To see how a slave obeys out of fear and a son obeys out of love, I, I think about back in high school. And there, I had two teachers. One was just this giant mammoth of a man that struck fear into every single person that walked the halls of Brock High School. And then there was another teacher who was about four foot nothing. And, you know, she was just so loving and kind and, uh, and really easy to talk to. And you knew that there was a mutual respect going on between the students and this, this teacher. And so the fear of death was produced with the giant of a man teacher. And it was never my best work that I was able to, to bring him because I was just so consumed with fear. But the kinder, more loving teacher, there was freedom. There was a confidence that I could be a better student. You see, in our relationship to God, when we function out of fear, not a reverent fear, but like a debilitating fear, it keeps us from achieving our true potential for God and will keep distance between us and God. But when we obey out of love, there's motivation in that. When you love someone, you want to do things that are pleasing to them simply out of adoration, out of respect for them and appreciation. You, you start to want to do things that, that matter to God instead of begrudgingly doing them to hold on to your Christian status or whatever you believe you might get in return for those good works. And that leads us to the the second difference between a slave and a son. A slave addresses his master out of duty, but a son addresses his master out of intimacy. We see this at the end of verse 15 and through verse 16. I'll read verse 15 again. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Mm. And that makes me think of, you know, a, t- a taskmaster and a, and a father. That's the, that's the kind of the two scales we have right now. The, the taskmaster is one that just continues to force his will on someone. And you kind of... You, kind of crumble under that under that fear that was mentioned in the previous passage and but this passage is also teaching us that a thought that a child of God can have a relationship with God that's so close that they may cry out Abba father daddy I remember a pastor telling me once uh, that a father should be the safest place for a child 
Children need to feel protected and loved and accepted by their fathers and have such a closeness with them that it's, it's natural for them to depend and lean on their father, whether they're two years old or 90 years old, they still refer to their father as their Abba, as their Dada, as their Daddy. And this might be a difficult thing for some of us to hear this morning, understanding that not all of us have had good fathers, loving, protective fathers who were there for us, whether they were abusive or addicts or emotionally unavailable or not even in the picture at all. We can find incredible joy in the glorious truth that we have a father that is greater than any earthly father the world has ever known. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can have this intimacy with God, our Father. Oh, there's such great comfort in that truth. Unlike a slave to a taskmaster, where the relationship is like work and the caring compassion is lost, that's one of the privileges of knowing that you are a son. That closeness with God is there. And that we can come to him in our highs and our lows and just cry out to him. Abba, Father, and the Spirit, as we see in verse 16, the Spirit testifies to this that we are his children when we cry out to him. And that's an assurance that we have been born again and that we've been given a new name and that we've been given a new nature because of the Holy Spirit leading us and us now no longer being enslaved to the flesh. And lastly, the difference between a slave and a son is that a slave has no security, but a son is an heir to everything that the father owns. A son is an heir. And we see that in verse 17. Let me read it for us. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. Where a slave has no security at all, no hope for what is to come, that is the complete opposite to those that are children of God. There is an amazing promise for those who are part of God's family, and that is that we are heirs of God, meaning that there is an inheritance, a living hope, and a privilege of relating to the Father and his son Jesus. And what is this inheritance? It's a a birthright. It comes from being children of God. Not, not because of, of a price paid or task accomplished. No, inheritance at its most fundamental level is seeing Christ himself one day. That's the hope. Christ is the ultimate prize. Literally everything that Christians desire in their relationship with God, assurance, hope, peace, joy, Seeing Jesus face to face is, as Paul would say, the hope of glory. And it's reaffirmed in Philippians 1.6 that he who started a good work in you will 
bring it to completion. And in Revelation 21, 4, that he will wipe away every tear and more. And all that is ours because we are sons. The inheritance isn't fully realized yet. But when, it, when Jesus comes back, it will be. There is a price of being identified with Christ, though. As it says, we need to, we, indeed, we suffer with him because we are in Christ and we are called to share in his sufferings. And, and God's children are not immune from these trials. We need to understand this. In fact, our sharing in present sufferings is a, is a condition for future glory. Like I said, hope of glory and suffering, they they coexist. And like it says, we share in his sufferings that we may share in his glory. And as followers of Jesus, we can anticipate that tough times will come. And just like our first century brothers and sisters, we have a glimpse of that understanding of becoming more like Christ, following in his footsteps as he walked up the Mount of Calvary, as our suffering for him can't even compare to the glory that's still to come. And it can't compare to the great price that he paid for us too. And because of that amazing sacrifice on the cross, we are his. We are his. And we have a new name and a new nature being led by the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you're believing it's too late for me. I'm in too deep. I know who I am. You can't change that. God can't change that. I challenge you today to pray that God would break those chains of addiction in your life, the spirit of, of helplessness in your life, and open up your eyes to the truth that you don't have to be a slave any longer to this world. You can be a child of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you want that? Because when you become a child of God, everything changes. I know because I lived that life. I lived that life. That was me first, plagued by sin. I was living a me-first life, enslaved to the culture around me until I came face-to-face with who I am and who I could be if I only trusted God to rescue me from the life that was just leading me further away from him. I was a slave to fear, but now I am a child of God. And that's my hope for each one of us here today. That we would experience that love of a father, that intimacy, that security, that life-changing truth that being a child of God gives us. So, who are you? Are you a slave to a life apart from Christ? Or are you a son? firmly wrapped in the arms of a loving father and a co-heir with Christ to an amazing inheritance that begins right now 
it can begin right now through faith in Christ. And it only gets better as we journey with God and trust him every step of the way. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what joy it is to be part of your family and to be a child of God, knowing that your spirit has given us a new life. We have been born again, Ah, Father, as you say in your gospel. And we just thank you so much that we have that opportunity to know that truth, that you know, we don't have to be enslaved any longer, Lord. We know that you are good and that you can bring us out of that and bring us into a new hope and a salvation in your son, Christ Jesus. And we thank you so much for his sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.